I'm going to start a new series today since it's New Year's Day and because I've been prompted to think again about artificial intelligence and some of its social implications. This is on the heels of a report that I read about what's called ChatGPT, a general purpose text algorithm come artificial intelligence with which I have, as you might say, been conversing, I suppose you'd call it, for the intervening two or three days because it seems to know just about everything there is to know about anything and although its responses are I suppose deliberately somewhat anodyne in that it tends to follow the classic essay format of repeat the question, summarise the bare bones of an answer, give some detail and then draw some conclusions excuse me it still has an enormous amount of information and it presents it in a very accessible and indeed intelligent way. So let's just stop and pause and think about some of the implications of this. And they come really under three headings. Implications for learning, specifically what is the incentive for human beings to learn stuff? If an AI that you can simply switch on appears to know more and indeed better than you, and I'm thinking particularly of implications for young people, but I think it applies to everybody, I'm thinking about what happens when and if, but probably when, these bots become more interesting to talk to than people in some people's minds and therefore introduce a kind of automatic social exclusion whereby I'd rather sit at home and talk to an automaton because I think one should accept that they are automata at the moment rather speak to an automaton that gives me intelligent answers than to another human being that might argue with me and that brings on the third point, which has a lot to teach us in all sorts of ways, which is that, just as is the case with programming, and as Seymour Papert famously pointed out in his great book Mindstorms decades ago, one of the things that computers don't do is remonstrate, argue, belittle and generally humiliate the people who are engaging with them. So that if I ask an AI a really silly question, it doesn't say that's a really silly question. It's more likely just to give me an answer. And an answer that, as you might say, takes me somewhere that I need to go, that extends my knowledge that takes me further takes me on but it won't humiliate me it won't make me feel worthless it won't make me feel stupid and yet so many of our educational endeavors 
and I speak guilty as charged in this respect, do deploy technique, techniques that I've called naming and shaming, whereby we think, wrongly in my view, that humiliating someone, shaming them, making them feel stupid, acts as some sort of an incentive for their learning. I think that may be true of some people, but I think that for the vast majority it isn't. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a disincentive. Being made to feel stupid, look stupid, or indeed feel that you are stupid, which increases our dose of self-loathing for the day, that doesn't help. Why would anybody subject themselves to that? Why would anybody respond positively to it? So let's deal with these in that order. Well, the first thing I would say is that ChatGPT is remarkable in a number of ways. It's remarkable in scope. It's remarkable in its capacity to respond appropriately to even quite convoluted I suppose you might call them obscure or even esoteric questions couched in fairly formidable language that some human beings, maybe most human beings, would find quite intimidating. It doesn't flinch, it doesn't blink, it just responds. And it responds very often in ways that look as though they are doing what has been true of these AIs for decades since Joseph Weizenbaum's Eliza in what was it, the, was it the 60s or the 70s, but it's certainly when I was a young man, which, which quickly, one quickly rumbled, was simply giving you back what you'd given it in a slightly changed form. But this chatbot doesn't do that. It starts off often by repeating what you've told it, but it will then add some nuance. So that if you use a carelessly worded question or make a carelessly worded claim involving something that will happen, it'll very often come back and say, well, it may happen, but I think we also need to consider the possibility that it won't and why it won't. So that's a fairly basic but important level of sophistication. It doesn't just echo, it responds. And it responds using, well it says, and I haven't yet had a chance to investigate this very deeply, but it says that it doesn't access external sources of information. If that's so, and why wouldn't it be, then its database is absolutely enormous. So that this morning, for example, I just followed a piece of string in the conversation and we went from um, well, we went all the way around the pump from social ontology through swarm dynamics, through self-organization, through Prigogine's systems of self-organization dissipative systems as they're called we went on then to think about Hume's theories on causality we looked at 
we looked at Hume on causality, and then we looked at Ramsey theory and the possibility, as Nora Trenders says in his book, The User Illusion, that the patterns we see in the world might be spurious and just, as you might say, the inevitable consequences of the kinds of patterns that Ramsey's theory says we cannot but find if we have a sufficient quantity of data. If you've listened to earlier episodes, you will know these themes are very of interest to me. And all I can say is that even if the AI didn't come up with anything very novel, it certainly knew as much as I do about it and was able to respond and to a certain extent to equivocate if I said something it didn't think was quite right or fair. We also moved on thinking about sociology and social ontology to think about the roles of leaders, which you'll know is a subject I care very much about. And we talked about Isaac Asimov's mule, which you'll know I like to use as an illustration. It's a sort of Trumpian example. And we talked about Persian abduction, which you could be forgiven for never having heard of. And it didn't flinch. So it was able to tell me, not quite accurately, but well enough, what Ramsey theory is. And I think that what, it hap what happens with it is that if you go back and you probe, it then, as you might say, gives you more and more layers of understanding that it's got. Now, how it does that, I, I really don't know. But it's pretty impressive. And not to say mind-boggling. So, that's the first thing. Or that's the background to the first thing, which is... Let's suppose I'm a small child and I get my hands on this and I start asking it things. It may, and again here I, I can only report what's happened to me, but what I found was that it gave me answers that were approximately commensurate with my level of question. In other words, I didn't ask it a question at level 6 and get an answer either at level 1 or at level 27 that I couldn't understand. It does seem as though, to some extent, as yet undetermined, it tailors its responses to what you're capable of understanding. And if you've listened, again, sorry to keep plugging the past, but if you've listened to the comments I make about DeepMind and David Silver's comments about Alpha Zero learning chess, that it's because it learnt by self-play, it always learnt by essentially playing an opponent of roughly its own standard at the time. It was not overwhelmed, it was not underwhelmed. It was to follow the Goldilocks principle, just right. And there is a sense with chat GPT as though it seems to do something along those lines. It's difficult to believe that it happens by accident, but it does certainly happen. And I certainly felt very comfortable. And what would be interesting would be for somebody who knew a lot more, or indeed a lot less about some of these topics, to engage in similar conversations and see what their experience was, whether they felt similarly that it was responding appropriately. Because if that's true, 
then my question becomes all the more pressing but perhaps also provides us with an answer. If I'm a child and I start interrogating this bot if I get answers that are at my level then I may not be intimidated I may not feel humiliated I may not feel made to feel silly, ignorant it may not induce self-loathing it may simply inform and take me by the hand and lead me a little bit further down the path that I was already treading and that would be very positive educationally but if it doesn't quite get it right or if it as you might say appears to be all-knowing omniscient it certainly doesn't come far short of that in my experience today then it may simply make me feel well there's not much point in me learning all this stuff because it knows it already however before we run away with that idea let me just enter a caveat which is that externalised knowing isn't much good to us the Tor Nora Trender's point about the user illusion is that the non-conscious brain needs to have the information to hand it's no good having it on the, the stacks of a library five miles away it's no good having it on a hard drive it's certainly not to follow Douglas Adams much point in having it in a basement on Alpha Centauri the point it wouldn't be on Alpha Centauri because that's a star but you know what I mean um, if it's not in our random access memory to use a computer metaphor if we can't access it readily then it's not much use to us in terms of our non-conscious processing we may be able to do some kind of just-in-time learning for conscious processing if we just want to know for example when was Hegel born when did he die where did he live who was his mother we can get that we don't need that information and it would be interesting this is a bit of a tangent but it would be interesting to know what the structure of the learning protocols that chat GPT uses because it does clearly know a lot but it also knows how to deal with questions that require that knowledge to be manipulated in some way and of course this is exactly what by and large we're trying to examine when we're trying to examine children properly rather than just on a sort of university challenge basis or mastermind or quizzes which as you know I have a thing about it's all very well to know stuff but what matters is what you do with it now chat GPT clearly can do with it it's pretty it doesn't have a name isn't it but it doesn't and if you ask it it says it hasn't got one too chatbot that is probably easier to say the chatbot clearly knows stuff and can clearly adapt what it knows in response to questions coming at it from all angles because goodness knows how many people are logged on to it simultaneously so something technologically pretty impressive is happening which could and this is the end of point one which could have the effect of producing a disincentive for people to learn but of course it could have the opposite effect it could encourage people to learn exactly because unlike some teachers 
unlike the profession that I spent most of my life with, it doesn't ever use shame, humiliation and telling people that they really shouldn't be asking such silly questions as a supposed educational lever. Lots more to be said. Just at the beginning of a series, let's not spend too long in it now. Second point is Mitochondria time comes sooner than we think at which we would rather spend time sitting in front of a computer talking to one of these dots than talking to another human being. And I think that the answer to that is probably already here. Because for exactly the same reason that if we're talking to another human being there's often a competitive element, there's often a disputative element, argumentative element. There's often a competition and that I think is the point the chatbot competes with us but not against us it helps us it helps us to compete in getting better but it doesn't compete in the sense of wanting to get one over us and I think a lot of the time too much of the time not just in education, but in our personal relationships, in our daily lives, we spend too much time, as you might say, trying to win, one-upmanship, rather than in saying, together popular phrase. And of course, that's exactly the point. And I did ask the chatbot about this, that rather than a sort of Herbert Spencerian interpretation of Darwin in terms of the survival of the fittest, which is competing against, it would be far better, and I think that this whole episode illustrates it, to have competing with, competing together with, being stronger together with, in the sense of the kind of mutual aid that Pieter Kropotkin advocates and that the chatbot knows all about or at least a lot about because I asked it so my feeling is that it's not so much a matter of saying I prefer speaking to a chatbot as that I prefer speaking to something that isn't in direct competition with me I don't want the combative side that is so often inserted into human conversation, human activity. We talked about games and football and the World Cup and all boys west before. Why aren't we so interested in winning exclusively? Why don't we have a collective understanding of winning where we compete with, together with, in senses that make us stronger together, make us all better off? And that, of course, is related to Prisoner's Dilemma and all the other things that we've also talked about. So, there's a lot. And then the third point, oh yes, it's the point about hands and minds and hearts. That we, we may think of ourselves as if we are migrating through the early agricultural times when what occupied us and it has been suggested not least by my middle daughter that the third phase is the heart's phase where we realise that this is our 
an emotional contribution to the world that is what really matters. And my response to that really is to say, yes, but our emotional response is coloured by and indeed dependent on what we know and how our minds work and what we do and how our bodies work. I'm not suggesting a mind-body dualism there, as you perfectly well know from previous episodes. But certainly, I don't have much to contribute to you by way of heart, by way of emotion, unless I have to some extent defined who I am in relation to what I know and what I do. Because what I know and what I do is constitutive of who I am. And, and Dewey teaches us this, if it needs teaching. So, what do I think about that? I think that I think that it would be a very strange world where a tiny coterie of, let's call them elite scientists, not to mention political powers, had access to this kind of AI and determined, and I mean determined, what we should regard as normative. Because one of the things that the chatbot resolutely refuses to engage in is debate about what the consequences, negative consequences of it might be. It will keep telling you that it is the people who use it who are responsible for deciding the purposes to which it is used, put, and indeed the information with which it is fed and trained. But, although it says it doesn't have opinions and values, it quite obviously does have values because my eldest daughter who is trained in psychology asked it she of walk the pod fame asked it about good people and bad people and its reply was that it wasn't very helpful to think of people as being good and bad not very constructive that it's much better to people think of people just doing what they do some better, some worse, some more malignant than others, some more benign than others, and find ways to, as you might say, put as many people as possible on a positive path towards the benign, towards the positive, towards the collective mutual aid sort of spectrum, which I don't for a moment disagree with, but I do think that it exhibits a set of values. And they're not the values that the Donald Trumps, Boris Johnsons, Vladimir Putins and Xi Jinping's of this world really endorse. Because they're interested more in themselves, in one way or another, than that model would suggest. So, I'm not going to go any further with this, I don't think. Let's let it rest for now. Let's come back to it. Let's come back to these themes. And the third one, which I suspect I haven't quite remembered as I described it at the beginning. And let's see what you think. Thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year.